host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and join me live from Nashville. It's my good buddy, Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man? Live from Nashville, where uh, I'm going to, I told the guys within the uh, EP Ringside group that I have to give this to you, like, live from Nashville, where we could have been sitting across from each other doing this in person right now if uh, planning and uh, somebody uh, had, had yeah. and so this is, I'm going to have to give you uh, give me a hard time. Some, yeah, so we could be doing this in person right now. We could be. Uh, well, we could be. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> we aren't, but we're still going to make the most of it. We're going to chat here for the next hour or catch up. You're going to give me the lowdown and everything that's been happening there, and I'm going to try to live vicariously through you, and, and you know, you've been kind enough here to, uh, you rushed back to the pad after the uh after the festivities at the rink the draft ended and you're kindly taking a break from all your gallivanting and enjoying beverages with various team employees under the guise of quote-unquote networking um i don't think i'm not familiar with your tricks um so we're having you on here we're going to talk about everything that's been happening um you know obviously you neither you or i are uh prospect evaluators or draft analysts mm-hmm. right? kind of perish yeah. in this time of year. And obviously yeah. both you and I by association work with the tremendous uh, gold standard crew, in my opinion, at EP Ringside, we sort of like through osmosis, get a lot of information from them and build that up over time. But uh, I'm going to save the actual pick analysis and kind of how teams did with the picks they made for Toro when I have Mitch Brown on, because he's uniquely qualified to like give us the intricacies of what makes the 157th best prospect in this class special. So I'm going to say that for him. Instead, you and I are going to kind of focus on uh, a big picture conversation yeah. here and kind of what teams did, maybe not just over the past couple of days, but this week, because obviously there wasn't a particularly uh, large amount of trade activity the past two days. I don't know. What what sticks out to you from this week that you spent in Nashville in terms of conversations you've had, kind of topics that kept coming up, what people were really fixated on and interested in kind of what's the what's the general takeaway from uh from this week with the entire nhl sort of converging in nashville yeah i mean for me one of the biggest things for this week and it's first of all in the draft itself you make a really good point the guys who cover the dress the prospects all year they do a great job like it's um our boy eric from who's up putting every single pick into elite prospects right as it happens like eric's uh Eric is, should be get a, Eric should have cult hero status honestly for it. He's, he's got like like people the tool that everyone uses, um, and so many people, myself included, we end up just like kind of as you said parachuting in for the draft and covering prospects, and we come in with our 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 hot opinions on what a team should do at twelve or thirteen or whatever, and then, uh, and then we kind of just let it go. And but so it's I like to I think I'd like to have a Mitch on it would be great and. Uh, that's that's how you should break down the draft. The people who kind of focus on this, the twenty four seven. For me, the biggest thing at the draft, outside of players getting selected, is the we're seeing the real hard crunch of the the cap not going up. It's only going up a million dollars, and the impact of just the randomness of this year being everyone's convinced themselves and it's not like it's it's i think it's it's admittedly a weak free agency class in general but everyone's convinced themselves that like well i don't want to make the mistake on this class because of this and next year so all of a sudden it's everyone is kicking tires everyone is becomes if you're going to improve your team it has to be done through the trade market and a lot of it can be a lot of fun speculation and there's so there's sometimes smoke to that fire and everything like that or but some of it also leads to, with so many people interested in making moves, I think at the same time it also leads to a little bit like a little bit of almost paralysis about it where there's so many things being talked about, so many things where like, oh, I don't want to make the wrong move. Like, I honestly think that's one of the reasons why we didn't have a trade on day one at the at the draft was because I think so much of the like, oh, well, there's things are bubbling, things are moving, things are moving. And I think people were like, there would be conversations and be like, oh, well, I can, I can get a better deal than this. And then eventually time would just pass. Like, I, I think that's kind of, we've kind of seen the collision of that right now. 
Certainly. I, so would you say there's been kind of like a gridlock in that regard, just because yeah. it feels like so many people are trying to accomplish very similar things, right? Like it seems good in theory to be like, all right, well, you know, uh, we're going to explore the trade market because everyone acknowledges the free agency is poor this year. But if everyone is there and trying to do the same thing, it kind of leads to this holding pattern we're in. Now, to be fair, I think the couple days leading up to the actual draft itself over this week did yeah, not necessarily fireworks, right? But we saw the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. We saw some movements, certainly, um, involving the Avalanche as well. So, like, we did see players move, and we saw some fun stuff, and we're going to talk about that here. But maybe not exactly what we were expecting, and hopefully that still will come over the next couple of days. But, yeah, I think my takeaway to kind of jump off of what you're saying there is being just really reinforced how a winger in particular with money attached to them, whether it's in actual dollars for one year or especially if it's term beyond that, is the worst asset you can have. Like, you know, like, obviously, yeah. you know, there's yeah. a sliding scale in that regard and it's still a, a good contributor for you and you need them to to compete. But if you're in the market of trying to especially trade them out, it's, you pretty much are taking pennies on the dollar, right? And I think people keep yeah. being surprised when you see the return for some of these players being moved who we associate with like being good hockey players, right? And so you're like, you're programmed and you're trained to see that and be like, well, that player is at least worth something of value. And then instead, and sometimes it's quite literally for nothing, it's just absorbing the contract. But in other times, it's like a, a third round pick or something and people can't, or keep see, I keep seeing tweets like, I can't believe that's all it took for that player. That team got robbed. And it's like, no, that's kind of the reality of the situation. So if you're a yeah. team that has a bunch of these deals and you're trying to move them on, like good luck to you because that's basically the worst place you can be in as a team uh, in this current kind of financial landscape. Oh yeah, it's I mean it's cap space is king, right? It's 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 an easy cliche and things like that. But the teams that have the cap space have a lot of power. The teams that are willing to it's 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 easy to sometimes be like, oh well, a guy got traded for nothing. Well, it's not necessarily that. It's more and more of the ability to free up the cap is so much has become so much more than nothing because of this environment, and um, I think it also just shows the healthy fear that because of how the CBA mechanism works and everything like that, it's not like like and I, I do think the cap will like next year it's only going to go up a million. I think the year after it'll go up. It, I think four ish, right? Like four ish, yeah. Like like four. I, I don't have the exact number in front of me or what it can, but there's only so much it can go up. It's not like it's not like we're going to get a, like, well, all of a sudden, two years from now, it's going to go up $20 million. Like, we're not getting, like, all of a sudden, like, a massive slush fund that's just going to come in. And I think that's kind of part of the reality where people are just kind of now trying to, how can I be, how can I maximize and balance my books so I can make a proper bet on something? I'm like, it's a perfect example of, like, the Riley Smith trade where, this Riley Smith trade is Riley Smith's not getting traded if the cap had been continued to escalate without COVID, yep. and essentially came down to the point of like, okay, Riley Smith wasn't traded for a third round pick. Riley Smith was traded for the cap space because the team wanted to pick Ivan Barbashev in his cap space instead, and then maybe maybe even Aiden Hill, which we keep hearing that deal is going to go through, and maybe that's a mistake. I don't. I think that one is a mistake, but. Um, it's 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 more and more of it's opening up that space for what else you can do. And I think that's how we have to look at a lot of these moves. And I think that's how we have to judge some of these moves as opposed to just the actual trade return and the, whether it's a whether it's a nothing of a pick or even nothing and it's a future considerations, which really is nothing because that's really just a term that is means nothing. <laughs> Yeah, there were, I mean, there were a couple of examples like that. The Smith one is obviously really good, especially since we just most recently saw him be a very valuable contributor on whether you want to classify them as Vegas' second or third line. Like the combination yeah, he, of him yeah. and William Carlson was incredibly valuable to them winning the Stanley Cup, right? And then you see him move yeah. for 2024th or not even one this year. And it's like, wow, that's all all you can get. But, you know, we saw with the, the Tyler's of Foley trade, for example, and that's a bit of a unique circumstance because. Calgary's facing the situation where all these players essentially like in unison said we want to be traded and we're a year out and so they have leverage in the sense that like they're still under contract so they can wait this out until someone becomes desperate and gives them something they feel is valuable but you look at Toffoli what he had 34 goals last year 
uh, 73 points. His 5-on-5 impacts were like off the charts. He was one of the most effective forwards in the league beyond obviously like the the superstars that you think of. And he goes for Igor Sharangovich in a third. And the in my as well was the initial reaction to that was like, I can't believe that's all it took. And then you think, okay, well, I imagine every single contender around the league is interested in Tyler Toffoli. Mm-hmm. How many of them can actually facilitate just taking on 4.25 million without like significantly changing their roster around, right? And the answer to that is is very few teams. Like a team's like a team like the Rangers would have traded a significant capital for him, I think. But yeah. they they literally cannot even retain their own full team right now unless they figure out this Barkley Goudreau situation. And so for them, they just couldn't even entertain that. And that ultimately really shrinks your your leverage and your market. And that's kind of how you wind up with that deal, right? And, and credit to the Devils for, because of the way they've handled this financially, they're one of those really good teams, but they can still make a move like that. Yeah, and the, and the teams that have cap space too... Um... It's it's become even it it's the we're starting to see a little bit more of their feeling the pressure of how do I, I, I if I'm going to help facilitate a deal or whatever they're feeling the pressure now of how do we wait for the next right deal because you only get so many retention spots like it's like there's not like there's not there's a you can be a mechanism to retain or help or, or do something like that but I think the teams that are teams that are in the, in the process of either helping to broker a deal or maybe make you do something, shed some salary themselves or whatever. I think this kind of, I, I truly believe the Coyotes getting stuck with eight years of a retention spot by Ekman Larsman. I think it also kind of like, it's one of those things where it's like, it just starts to scare people where it's like, I only have so many of these spots and it's the same reason that like, it's the same reason that like by, that people hoard like, well, I have a, I have I have three beers in the fridge. I'm not going to drink that last beer because I might need it for a rainy day. Like it's 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 the it's it's I think it's I think we have more and more of that where the people who people aren't using all of the tools available to them because they're scared of well, what if the better move is three months from now, six months from now, tomorrow? I think I think we're just seeing so much of that right now, adding to that gridlock. Well, I will say though that that's obviously I get what you're saying. That specific example, I don't think. The coyotes were too <laughs> upset with it. No, 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 no. It's not like they're going to be I don't, maximizing I, all of their financial capabilities. Regardless, I don't, I don't, I don't think the coyotes are upset about it. Upset about it. My mm-hmm. point is, it's the other GMs who look at it's the other. It's GMs one one fewer you. move that you could theoretically do. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you saw it today, right? One of the trades we did see on the draft floor was Kaylor Yamamoto and Clint Costin. Like quite mm-hmm. literally going back for for the uh, the proverbial future considerations bag yes. of sticks, um, mm-hmm. and I did see some people being like, "Wow, what a what a what a great job by by Steve Eisen making this happen." And I think you could probably evaluate it from both teams separately mm-hmm. in the sense that the the, the the Red Wings are one of the teams that has so much cap space available. Yep. I, mean, I don't think they're in a rush to tie it up long term the way they did last summer with veterans. And so in this sense, you're like, "All right, well, we get one year." Of Kaylor Yamamoto, three point one million doesn't really matter. We'll see what happens with him. He's still youngish, and worst case, we can kind of move on from that after the season. Clem Costin, we'll see on that as well, right? He's an RFA with arbitration rights, but if he doesn't get paid accordingly, he could just go to the KHL if he wants. Like I think it's going to take a certain contract to keep him here. So that's totally fine and reasonable from the Red Wings' perspective to take those shots. But if you're the Oilers, that's like a slam dunk trade in my opinion because. You clear three point one million, which you had to do. Yeah. You don't pay for Clem Costin's twenty percent shooting percentage season, which they have gotten in trouble doing in the past as, as an organization. And you don't have to give up any picks to do this. Like I think the Red Wings did old Kenny Holland quite a favor there in in allowing yeah. him to do that because they're one of the few teams that could. And so it's fine from the Red Wings' perspective. But I actually thought like that trade was and transaction was a perfect microcosm of what we're talking about and the fact that the Oilers were able to do that without giving up a future second or something is a huge win for them yeah I, I thought it was I thought it was a good trade for Edmonton obviously as, as you kind of laid out right there you got you got out of some problems you got out of you I think you actually were self-aware that there is benefits of playing with the best pl- playing on the team with the best player on the planet I think there and there are certain guys who you can now pay less to do a similar job next year and I, I think the Oilers it is 
it is a smart move by Edmonton. And from a Detroit perspective, like you have the cap space, you do it and everything like that. But to me, it's not the like 4D chess. Like it's sometimes you get like the like, oh, Steve Eiserman's playing 4D chess. Trust the Eiser plan. Like to me, this isn't that. This is a, if, 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 if this is a, all right, well, you were, you, you allowed, you allowed your old, your old, your old, your old boss to, uh, it was a old, get out of jail free card. Yeah. Like, yeah, like uh, yeah, small, yeah, small yeah. Scale, right. It's 3.1 yeah. million. It's not yeah. anything yeah. massive, but for the Oilers, that's yeah. very valuable real estate. So, yeah. Um, okay. There's two teams that I want to talk about here and, and they're obviously on both extremes. Um, but they help highlight this trend we're talking about. One is the Devils. We mentioned them kind of with the Tyler Toffoli transaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other is the Blackhawks, who obviously have the most cap space. I guess not mm-hmm. anymore, but they did heading into this past week. Yeah. Which one of them do you want to start off with first? Because I think their moves were both kind of interesting. Yeah, let's let's start with Chicago, I guess. Let's go with that one. Yeah. So, you know, heading into the offseason, uh, my pal Thomas Dreads kept messaging me with like all of these scenarios where, cause he's like so all in on the Connor Bedard experience and, and rightfully yeah. so. Like I think all Thomas, Thomas, Tom, Thomas Durant, who was wearing a suit today from the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, oh, was the, it for the, the Maroon from the, line? From the, from, from, the Mar- from the Maroon connection. Oh, the Maroon yeah. Line, yeah. Durant was definitely wearing it. And that wasn't, looked like he, uh, it looked like he may have shopped at the same store as the Coyotes from the night before. So I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> love that. Um, he's been like uh, obsessed with, them leveraging all of the space they had heading in, which was like 35 million or some obscene amount of cap space into essentially taking advantage of the current landscape we're talking about here, where there's like teams like the Bruins and stuff that had all these players that they can't afford to keep. And you can essentially just go and cherry pick whichever ones you want for free and potentially even get features in return. But like build out a team of competent NHL players at least. Um, So you're not like, as embarrassingly bad and downright tanking as they were last year for Bedard and actually put him in a position where he can succeed somewhat and be insulated in his first year in the league. And yeah. so he's like, all right, they can sign Alex Kalorn and get Matt Grizzlick and take Connor Garland from the Canucks and do all these things, right? And I, I kept trying to throw cold water on it, being like, well, I temper expectations in terms of like how ambitiously they're going to try to do that, especially in year one or year two. Like, I think that's probably not going to happen. And we've certainly seen them make moves but I can't help but feel underwhelmed by like how they've monetized that cap space so far. And now they still have 25 million or so left to go, but mm-hmm. they've essentially spent 17 million now this summer on Taylor Hall, Nick Felino, Andreas Athanasiu, and Josh Bailey's buyout. And so uh, I don't think that's necessarily according to, to Drance's plan. We'll still see what they do. From here on out, but. well, they. I mean, they also did the the trade for Corey Perry's rights today. Oh, yeah. as well. So, yes. like, it's... and I assume that all will come with an A B uh, significantly higher than anyone else in the league would have given him as well, which makes sense because mm-hmm. he probably wants to compete for a Stanley Cup and they want to have him there as sort of a veteran presence. So, well, that, all and and that, and, but... and that, that that one also feels like such a weird like one where it's like you sign him to a one year AAV that's reasonable, and then at the deadline you retain and, and and you buy your and you buy that pick you buy that pick like i think they traded a seventh for his rights right i think and then you buy that pick back for a fifth or something like that from some team at the deadline like very similar to like verbeek basically signing klingberg to buy a draft pick like that's almost what the perry deal feels like for me well i'll so. tell you what sean people around the league are i guess irritated by like how they are monetizing their cap space in <laughs> in in the sense that it sounds good in principle, but I don't think anyone believes they're like actually using that, utilizing it to its full capability in terms of extracting that value, right? We talk about cap weaponization and all this, and they take this $5 million deal off the Islanders' hands and Josh Bailey and then buy him out, and it comes with like less actual salary, right? Like They're not actually paying that much themselves, yeah. but they get this 2026 20, second back for him. And, and, there, and there's people around there that are like, man, that's that is not the going rate for this type of transaction. And so, it's it's interesting to sort of see. And, and you know, they did it with Petr Mrazek last year at the draft as well, where they get this like minimal trade up to take this bad contract off the Leafs' hands and throw them a life raft as well. And it's it all sounds good to have this much cap space, but then I don't think like they obviously had a fantastic draft, right? They come away with Connor Bedard, 
mm-hmm. crown jewel they come away they get all of our more talking yeah. to them as well like that's all well and good but in terms of like actual optimization here can't help but feel a bit underwhelmed by the way they've they've acted so far well, I mean, the uh, they got a GM. He said, he says, he said, some people think he doesn't know I mean, hockey. There's literally like, some guy out the street. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. A scale of one to ten, how well does he know hockey? He he he's put it as a four. So I think that's uh, I, I think if we use that as a proper scale, I mean, it's probably fine. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, they got that. They got that. They got what? Uh, yeah. uh the fiftieth best fourteen-year-old right now. For yeah. uh, Josh Bailey deal, essentially, yeah. like, like yeah. six second. Yeah, yeah, yes. For five million, we're not not too long ago. Patrick Marleau, yeah. six point two five, cost the Leafs thirteenth overall, which wound up being Seth Jarvis. Um, I don't know. They just made they made some trades that I thought were a bit strange, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, not that big of a deal. The Devils on the other part, though, um, what a week for them, right? Oh yeah, obviously. Yeah. Previously, they they retain and extend Jesper Brad for eight years at a really good figure. I thought they trade for Tyler Toffoli. Uh, they extend Timo Meyer for eight million as well at eight point eight. I mean, really, really nice piece of business. And all of a sudden you look at that team and obviously they're gonna be a very trendy Stanley Cup pick and they're still in the rumors for for the yeah, yeah. sweepstakes. But man, yeah. That forward group in particular is, is really coming together nicely. Yeah, they did a really nice job. I mean obviously part of it was goes from you had to complete the job um from signing from trading for Meyer mid season and, and then and then signing him and everything like that. But yeah that, that I mean I think the Devils did a really, really nice job just kind of understanding, I think, that you have to be willing to take some of, not risks, but be willing to to build in a certain way. That you have to be willing to, in, in to go win a cup, you've got to be able to do this. And I really like the way they, they, they tackled some things. Now, the Hellebuck thing could be really interesting. Like if you bring, if you bring a goalie like that in, all of a sudden we're having a really... They become a very, very trendy pick. Um, yeah, it's I, I, I like what New Jersey did this week, and I like the way they kind of moved around and everything like that. I ran it. I saw it's kind of one of the funny things at the draft today, where um, uh, the uh, Pete, the uh, the Devils uh, PR guy, was uh, walking out, and so like e teams when teams come to the draft, they have to bring all of this crap with them. They have to bring all these jerseys. They have to bring all these gloves and for the pictures, and so like. Teams will typically bring like 15 jerseys just in case, right? Just in case they're all there. And like, so a perfect example of how New Jersey operated outside of the draft world. Only two of their picks were actually there. So Pete's carrying like to leave the draft today. He's carrying, he's walking off the floor with like a heavy bag that still has got like 13 jerseys in it and, and gloves and everything because just in case he had to bring it with him. And it was, uh, and that bag is a good representation of the... PR guy having to carry that bag it represents the other bag that the Devils got. So I hope I connected that one. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean that that group that they have now of I assume the lines will shake out. I mean they can experiment with all this, but something like mm-hmm. Timo Meyer with his year and then Dogson Mercer. Yeah. Uh Jesper Brad, Jack Hughes, and now Tyler Defoli on his wing. I mean, what a what a top six there. And I guess part of this as well, and the the lesson from this is the reason why they're in this position to pounce on a Toffoli and make a lot of these moves they've had is they acted so decisively in signing Nico Hischier, but particularly in Jack Hughes coming off as ELC. Mm-hmm. And so now they have essentially the best non-ELC contract in the league now that Nathan McKinnon is making his 12.6 or whatever. It is Jack Hughes, right? At his yeah. finger. And so because you have those two guys who are your top two centers locked up long-term at those figures, even before the cap goes up, they're able to build around them and add around them and be aggressive in adding to their team. And so I guess that's the thing. It really is sort of that lesson of there's a certain time where you you kind of have to bridge a player or you have to, or you want to give it more time to see. But mm-hmm. if you initially evaluate that, it's like this guy's a star or a superstar, the more years you can buy up, the more quickly that's probably going to age pretty well for you, right? And that's kind of what's going on here with the Devils. I also like that there was like, there was kind of the, at one point people were like, oh, well, they've got the internal pay structure and all that stuff. Like, I, I like that that was not a reality. Like, because I think if a guy signs a contract, it signs a contract. And I, I think get, they and leveraged it on Brad a little bit and getting yeah. under eight. I was surprised they were able to get him under eight for eight years the way they did. But yeah, the Meyer, they obviously went above. Yeah, no, but like that was the whole thing where people were like, oh, well, this, they have this internal pay structure and it's going to limit what they can do. And I think 
I think internal pay structures are incredibly, incredibly stupid. So I'm glad that they did not. Uh, I'm glad that they did not stick to that because I, I don't like. I don't like when teams do that. Um. Okay. Let's take our break here, and then when we come back, we'll talk about some other main takeaways from these two draft days and some other stuff from this week in Nashville. You're listening to the Hockey PDO guest streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on the Hockey PDO guest of Sean Shapiro. Sean, uh, let's talk a bit about the Predators, uh, this year's host of the NHL draft. Um, they were clearly looking to be very active and make a splash, right? Leading up to, to day one of the draft, we heard a lot about how they were pretty aggressively floating out Yaroslav Askarov and the two first they had to try to move up, particularly uh, into the top 10, but even five potentially, I think, was most rumored. Our link to them with the uh, Canadians pick before they took David Reinbacher there. Um, let's talk a little bit about them and kind of that direction and sort of how that didn't come together and where they go from here because now obviously Barry Trotz, even though I guess he's technically finally taking over now, I think he was probably acting as as the GM regardless for a while now and certainly like helping shape and, and influence their moves since the deadline. Um, what kind of stuck out to you there and sort of What's the general feeling in terms of the way they approached? Uh, I keep wanting to say this weekend, but it was a it was a Wednesday Thursday. I'm so used to the the draft being kind of over that like oh yeah Saturday stretch. So I mean, like where it's it was weird to be we're we're recording this at what three o'clock on a Thursday right now or something like that. We're sent locally three o'clock on a Thursday, and it's um to me it was Nashville was there, and it was a big want to make a splash or make a big move and and you do it at home and that's exciting and, and you kind of make a like a develop a marquee moment and everything like that and I think they really wanted to do that. Um it was just kind of just optically speaking, that's fun. That's a nice like if you make that move, that franchise altering trade or change and everything at your home draft, that's the thing where your franchise lore can be built on that and that stuff. So, um, I think they really wanted to. I mean, we we know that they were willing. They wanted to move into that top five. The they wanted to the Canadians pick was the one was one of the picks they were after. Um, they wanted to. Do you think they would have taken? Do you think they would have taken Mitch Cobb with that, or do you think it was to to grab think, someone else? I think. I mean, I don't know for certain. Um, but I think it was to grab Mitchkov. I think that was the, I think part of Barry Trotz's timeline in his head on this is he looks at kind of Mitchkov's arrival timeline is probably the timeline when realistically he can build the rest of the roster to be competitive. I, I think that's kind of the the two align pretty well. So um, for me, I and, and just once again, just reading tea leaves, not knowing anything for certain, I think it was more on the on the concept of you can get Mitchkov, you can you make that trade, you get Mitchkov, and you bring in something you don't your program doesn't have. You bring in something that's going someone who's going to be the dynamic franchise player, and it costs a lot to do that. Like it to to, to move up in this draft, and people weren't moving and everything like that. And um, I mean they were willing to. We see, we saw the reports and we heard that they were willing to package uh, Yaroslav Askarov, the goalie from their pretty their pretty good goalie prospect who played this year for the Milwaukee Admirals with both first round picks and move up. And um, I think there was even one of the things that Trot said afterwards is like he almost maybe like maybe he was almost even thinking about giving up too much to get to get up into it, which is uh, overgiving. Yeah, like overgiving. Like, um, and I. I, I think with where the Predators are, it's like he's in the, he's in a very, Trotz is in a very interesting spot that most GMs, I think Trotz has a, like we talked about Detroit earlier, I think Trotz actually is a similar kind of like lifeline that 
Iserman has in Detroit, where you have done so much for an organization in the past, you're kind of be given the keys to like, ah, just rebuild as you want. And like, I think Trotz knows that he gets the the time to build this slowly. It's just all that it's lacking is in Detroit, it's the Iser plan, but in Nashville, we don't have like a fun moniker for 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 whatever Barry's doing, like Barry's business, Trot Shots. I don't Trot Shots. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, I know. I agree with that. I think he's inheriting a much better situation in terms of like how little. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. They didn't really necessarily have to tear any down, right? But it was an organization that, and I remember you and I did a show like right after they made that series and the move series of moves at the deadline, and we kind of talked for 15, 20 minutes about how uh, they were stuck in the middle for so long as an organization, right? Not necessarily wanting to take that calculated step back, especially aggressively, and kind of just hanging around and ultimately winding up in a pretty tricky place in that mushy middle in the league. And so now. Um, you know, they make all those moves where they trade everyone out. They grab a bunch of draft capital. They, a couple days ago, also move Jet Ryan Johansson, right, and clear out $4 million this year and next off of that as well. And so there's been a lot of house cleaning there. I get the desire to make that splashing move, and especially if it is with the direct, uh, with the expressed interest of using it to draft Mitchkov because that's the type of, like, offensive talent that they've never really had in franchise history, right? Like Philip Forsberg is probably just the most like gifted offensive player they had. And and I love Philip Hovich Forsberg. He's phenomenal. But um, this upside or this allure of what Mitch Cobb could be as a goal scorer is just sort of this next level thing they haven't really experienced. I, I was looking at it while we were talking. I mean, over the past 20 years, the Predators have had two top 10 picks. And one was in 08, right? They took Colin Wilson seventh overall. And then in 2013, they took Seth Jones fourth. And so I get that, like, fifth and grabbing Mitch Cobb. I do think, though, and maybe this is me just being on the higher end of, of Askarov evaluations, but him 15 and 24 to move up is, that's quite a bit. I think Barry, I think Barry's right. That, that, that might be overgiving. I think it's overgiving. I also am not going to let you book by it because you kept talking and intentionally Bought in the full Filipovich Forsberg, so I'm gonna I just now, it. I sprinkled it in there as a little nugget. Yeah, that's uh, but, track too. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's uh, it was it was if I if I let it slide without pointing out that I heard it, that's gonna be a problem. So it's a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, okay, Filipovich. I mean, uh, here's the thing about Askarov because you you, you yeah, wrote that yeah, yeah. feature on yeah, yeah, it, right? Yeah, first year in North America, which I think you can't. Uh, can't overstate like what a big adjustment that was for him and clearly started playing better as the year went along ended i believe he had like 60 games under his belt between the regular yeah. season and yeah. playoffs in the ahl around a nine ten save percentage and i think based off of all the physical tools and also sort of this like intangible kind of like swag and energy he seems to have clearly like i'm all in on the rsl uh, experience moving forward and i know that might be surprising to people here to hear me say that because generally I don't have too many thoughts on goalies because it's like, I totally agree that they're generally pretty replaceable and what you have in front of them matters much more and all that. But just considering he's 21 and on an ELC and with this type of runway, like I, I actually do view him as an actual piece and not just, oh, another goalie. And I look at, like, I'm a big believer in Askarov too. I think the, um, I think he has the, there are definitely strides that need to be taken in his game. I think there's a, uh, you talk to, you you look at kind of his game, and I think there's a bit of the refinement of the the focusing up of it almost where, and not that he doesn't focus on the game, but he's such a uh, he's such an intense athletic goalie, and I see, I think we see, um, and you see that come out where. When the puck enters the zone, he gets so dialed in and everything like that. I think he's right now in that spot where it's finding the kind of even keel of how are you dialed in, but your muscles aren't jumping all over the place when the puck's in the neutral zone. And I and I think I think that's something I think that's something that can grow with maturity and 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 grow with time in the league and time in North America. So I'm I'm a big believer in Askarov, and I do think that. Um, I, I do think trading all of that for Mitchkov, I think it would have been a lot. I think it would have been, it would have been a bit 
bit too much. I mean, I, I think Mitchkov can be that player that Nashville has never had it forward before, but there's also no guarantee of that at the same time, right? It's when you're talking about giving up um, a more proven asset. Now it's a goalie with there's some viability there, but you're talking about giving up giving up a, a more proven asset and trading two lottery tickets for a lottery ticket that's got a little bit more of a high that has a could be a little bit more. I, I think you're giving I, th- I do think you're giving too much up for that. Um, and I also think it's a trade where by not doing it, the Predators probably saved themselves from putting everything into all of their eggs into one basket. And because all of a sudden, if you move Askarov there and he becomes the guy somewhere else, like it's just, it becomes a tough narrative to fight if that, if he doesn't become the best, if he does, if he doesn't, if he doesn't truly become the second best player in this draft, if he doesn't become a superstar, if he doesn't do that. So, well, at the same time, as we transition here, I I don't think the I mean I don't think the Flyers necessarily did put all of their eggs in that basket, but no, I, the Flyers did a great job. I do. Flyers love did great. I'm yeah. taking that swing at seventh overall. Yeah, and, I, not, uh, yeah. And the story in particular of you know there, there was some yeah. sort of alarm or like eyebrows raised when uh, when that practice facility tweet being closed was sent out last week, and it winds up turning out obviously as we know now that. They were like sneaking Mitch Cobb in there for meetings and and all this stuff. Like I don't know. Uh, like, what are you sort of hearing about that? And what were people saying uh, let, on the ground or behind the scenes? Let me tell an unrelated story because I don't know an unrelated but related story about this because I don't know Those are the for best sh- stories. I don't know for sure if uh, if Matvey Mitchkov was in Philadelphia was it was in Philadelphia. That's why they closed the facility. I don't know. Maybe it was, but I, I do know. I think it's been reported by now. I think. Yeah, I think we know, but. I do, but when I but I one thing I do know when I was covering the Dallas Stars and uh, it was the summer of Joe Pavelski's recruitment of free agency, um, there was one day they canceled. There was it was during development camp because it was development camp was before July first, and there was a day they canceled. Uh, they were like, "Oh, there's no media availability today. The guys are just doing some light stretching. No one needs to come to the media. You don't need to come to the rink. We're just kind of doing some stuff." I was the only person who went to the rink and I actually walked right into Joe Pavelski getting a tour of the facilities and I got a bit of a kind of a glance from Stars PR because I was like, well, I'm not here to talk to guys. I'm here to just watch guys skate in circles and that's okay. Mm. Uh, So uh, teams do this, right? Like there is, (laughs) there's, I think think the circumstances of this are a bit more unique, right? Consistent. No one has been able to speak to them. Exactly. But I, but my point being is like, this is the type of thing that teams are willing to do. They're willing to change other schedules to bring guys in and do things like that. And um, I think the other thing that Philly did, um, Philly did this, and I don't know, I don't have the full list of this. I would love to see which teams did this, but um, Philly, I know Detroit did because I, I spoke to Chris Draper today, and I know that they had their, they actually kept their scout in Russia, but Philly's also a team that kept their scout in Russia all season, too. And so they were a team that had actual physical eyes on them when a lot of teams ended up pulling scouts out of Russia after the invasion of the Ukraine. Um, So Philly was, and it was the secret cloak and dagger meeting in, in Philadelphia, like, I think more so of this was Philly. This was kind of one of those things where Philly was angling for this the entire year. They were always keeping eyes on Mitchkov. That's what they were always doing. And it just worked out that the cards kind of fell into their favor, that everyone else kind of got wrapped up in this factor of a fear of whether this, a fear of the other stuff about this kid. Yeah. I I mean, I, I get it. There's certainly some risk involved, I think, just on the upside, especially for a team that's in the position that the Flyers are in, right? Where they're looking at such a long road ahead. They like, after years of putting it off and doubling down on one mistake after another, finally cleaned house and like are, you know, aggressively now shopping out every single veteran. And even if it means taking on a bunch of money for the next couple of years in, in like Kevin Hayes, for example, they just want to basically clear the deck and start over almost. Right. And so that represents such an organizational change and that is actually so 
refreshing and reaffirming, right? Because they bring in pretty much all of these old flyers who used to play for a team and, and they're they're initially spinning it as, all right, this is a fresh start. It's going to be different. It's going to be a new era at Orange or whatever their slogan was. And it's like, ah, oh, it feels like kind of more of the same, right? But we're like, all right, at least give them a chance to see what the moves indicate. And so far, so good, I think, in, in, in that regard. Um, yeah, the Michigan stuff is interesting too because I heard a lot. I was watching this like NHL Network interview during rounds four or five or whatever Danny Breer was on. And at least five or six times he he like reinforced how happy Mitch Gobb is to be a flyer and like how I guess he was saying that he wanted to go play there or whatever. I don't know how much of that is posturing or what or just selling it, but um he was just going so above and beyond even more so than I think the usual GM speak that I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, the Mitchkov stuff is interesting too, just kind of the I've never I've covered athletes of translators before. Um so I've never seen the double translator game of telephone I've seen with Mitchkov, where, um, and I don't know if this will be the setup for perpetuity or if this was just the draft and you're being careful. I, I don't know, but it would be, you would ask, the media would ask a question. One translator would hear it, repeat the question in Russian to Mitchkov. Mitchkov would answer in Russian, and then another translator would then translate Mitchkov's answer into English. Uh, so like it's it's oh wasn't this you mean it wasn't the same translator no 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 there was two like it was like there's there's he's still in the middle yeah it was two telephones where question comes in and it's so we don't really know like what Mitchkov actually said and and believes and everything like that I'm sure someone who's Russian probably could listen and, and give a better idea but as an English speaker and listener I I don't know exactly it's hard to tell tone it's hard to tell what what was conveyed exactly throughout that 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 information dialogue. Um but obviously Breer is going all in on this and I don't blame Breer at all. I think it's a it's a smart play. One of the one of the things that randomly popped into my head as you were going as we were talking, and it just it made me think on this. Like you mentioned cleaning the deck and starting from the bottom. And we talked about um we talked about like Trotz basically kind of trying to do a little bit of that right now too, where he's willing to basically he's just they're getting get ready to Johansson to clear up the four million um in cap space each of the next two years and everything. I wonder and this is a theory I'm literally developing right now so people can tell me if I'm wrong that's fine. I, I wonder if the appetite for owners to be on board with it has changed because of what Seattle and Vegas did. Where Seattle and Vegas came in and they were a clean deck. They were a blank slate. Right. And no bad and contracts. No bad contracts. And I, I wonder if, I, I wonder if from an owner perspective, and the uh, the Flyers owners, Comcast, Comcast Spectacor, if I'm getting the name completely right, like a lot of times there's a huge pressure from ownership to, you can't do that. We have to find the path right now. And I, I just wonder if seeing what Vegas did, seeing what Seattle did, all of a sudden made it much easier for NHL GMs to when you're the new guy coming in. And I think that's I think that's kind of a key thing. That's like Briere's the new guy coming in and, and 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 like when you're the new guy coming in, you get a little bit more of that, hey, we have to tear it down so it's completely at the bottom. And I, I just I wonder if what Vegas and Seattle did did that. This is this is truly a working theory where I'm throwing crap against the wall as I'm bringing this up right now so i i don't know but i'm just i'm thinking trying to trying to get into an ownership mindset where normally forever it's been well we have to compete every year we have to get one of those golden tickets to the playoffs we have to do or the closest thing possible to maybe well hey vegas went complete obviously it was complete plague state in five years they went in six years they won a cup seattle was final eight right or whatever whatever it was right like i, I just i wonder if all the ownership gm dichotomy has changed because of that in some places hundred percent. I mean, what yeah. obviously in both cases, I think more so Vegas than Seattle, considering like, you know, when Seattle had their, I mean, not that Vegas's expansion draft was that heralded in terms of the actual roster players they got back from teams, because I think nobody expected them to have the initial success they did, right? But especially with Seattle, there was a lot of like head scratching decisions in terms of players they took from teams when they had other alternatives in place. But the biggest value they had of being that expansion team was purely just not having bad contracts on your books, right? And getting that fresh start. And so that's immensely valuable. And often, I think that is a good point because often we place a lot of the blame on GMs because they are so uh, forward-facing, 
right? And they take both the good and the bad. And when it's bad, they take a lot of the criticism. But usually you do have a higher up in front of you, ahead of you that you have to answer to. And it comes down sometimes to what you're actually allowed to do with a team. And so in this case, it's very exciting that they're getting this sort of green light to do this. Now, you know, what was interesting, this is sort of besides the point from a, from a hockey ops perspective, but just as a as a storytelling tool, um, during the last weekend, right, during all of those trade rumors coming out where it was like literally just drop by drop, we were being given like little breadcrumbs of who could be going to St. Louis, who could be coming back before we eventually found out that it was like Tory Krug and he didn't want to wave and everything, right? There was this like six hour period where we were just getting an immense amount of information in the slowest time possible in real, like as slow as possible in real time. And I was like, how, like, what is like, what's happening here? How is there so many, how is there one leak that's either so strong or so many different leaks bringing that this is all coming out? And then they go and they have this sort of like, as you mentioned, cloak and dagger or whatever, like this like rogue mission that no one knows about in Mitch Cobb coming to their facilities and not reported at all until they actually draft them. And so what, what a flex on their end to like, after all this criticism of like these leaks they had and how all this was coming out, the most important move of all, literally no one had any word of until it was already executed. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of on our, in our end, it kind of, you start to, you try to reverse engineer and you try to like play the, like, you can't help but like wonder like, okay, well, if, if the Philly kept the Mitchkov appearance so far under wraps and everything like that, okay, do they do that for everything? Was it intentional? Like, I mean, the the skeptic in me could be like, you know what, maybe Philly's intentionally leaking it so they could do the other thing. Like, mm-hmm. It's the, right. you know, like that's that's just the skeptic in me or the 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 conspiracy theorist in me too. But it's mm-hmm. it is it is impressive how how much it was never there was not the insider tweet of like we would hear like like oh Mitchkov like Mitchkov uh, met with the Blues but Doug Armstrong refused to call it an interview. Like we would get little things like that, but we never got like oh by the way they literally had Mitchkov. In the facility in Philadelphia, well, I think we I think it, we learned that they that they had met with them, but similar to like the like we knew the Habs met with them, right, and stuff like this. Yeah, but it yeah, wasn't yeah. obviously to the extent that it wound up coming out after the fact. Um, okay, do you want to quickly talk about the stars here? Yeah, so is uh, you know Jim Nail coming uh, freshly minted as the GM of the year? Uh, you had the tweet where he uh, he said that he's not planning on or not. Or not going to use, I don't know what the terminology was. Uh, um, not, plan- not not planning to at this moment. You think he's not during? I actually don't think so. I don't know what the end game is there because I don't think someone's going to take Ryan Suter off of him. So, um, I, I I I don't think I think Ryan Suter plays for the Dallas Stars this year. I think, I think That's as a, a, I think as a team they are too. I think there's there is a, a re, there is a belief and reliance and faith in the coaching staff in in Ryan Suter, and I think they are a little bit scared of the the risk in their mind of rolling a defense that's got a Yanni Hockenbach coming off of injury and a Thomas Harley who. By the way, in my view, Thomas Harley proved himself in the playoffs. I don't understand why all of a sudden now we have to treat him with kid gloves again, but that's my own view. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and then a Nils Lundqvist, who you essentially are, he was your first round pick, and the Stars have said this very publicly on the record, where they used a, they traded a first to the Rangers to get Lundqvist last summer, and they didn't have a first round pick this year. And, and the, there are things like, well, he's he's better than any player we'd be able to draft with that pick. And he's already, you can tell him. So, so now they have to use him and then they, they need to, if they're going to, if they're going to see, but I think there's also a, they're scared of the risk of not having the, the veteran defenseman back there that plays solid minutes. And I'm using intentionally hockey person terms. I'm doing that on purpose right now. And I think for all of those reasons, I don't think this is posturing. I don't think there's a buyout coming. I think um, I think it's going to be one of those moves where I'm going to disagree with what the stars do, and that's 
Yeah. And it'll probably lead to a conversation I have with somebody about about it at the draft next year. So I mean, I you, you mentioned there like the the coaching staff has confidence in him. I yeah. I completely agree with that. That's the, that's kind of the problem, unfortunately. Uh, an overconfidence yes. in him. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Point. Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, I had this big trade for Eric Carlson. Early oh my God! Yeah, yes, yes, and that just yes, sent Star yes. Twitter into <laughs> a tizzy and a downright frenzy, and people were saying that oh, it's too risky. Like that contract is is, is so risky, and then I'm hearing you say that about not having Ryan Suter as being so risky. And I just, I guess it comes out of perspective. I, but I I, 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 I view I view the opposite risky. I view wasting these like I, championship window seasons by being ambitious to be risky. I I, I loved your trade. Like I was yeah. like, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying you are. Oh I'm no, no, I, I know, I know. Stars fans being, like, I know oh, we can't no. take on this contract. It's no, risky, and I just don't. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can't take on that contract. It's too. I mean, it's it's. Do you want to compete for a Stanley Cup, or do you just want to be? Do you do you yeah team in the West? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to win a Stanley Cup? That's that's the question. Do you want to win the Stanley Cup? If the answer is yes, then you make trades like the one that you proposed earlier this week for Carlson and I, from a. I, you people get so attached to prospects, right? Like they'll be like, "Oh, well, what if this? What about this guy? Like we're gonna do this and we're gonna hold this up and everything like that." And I think from a Dallas fandom, I'm just putting a pulse on the finger of things because, um, and I, I feel like I'm more qualified than most people to do that. Um, I think part of it comes from the early, like they're like they see what happened when the Stars did not trade. Heishkinen for Carlson when that was the holdup then. And you know what? That was the right move. But the Stars don't have another Miro Heishkinen then yeah. as all of a sudden. Well, yeah. It's not like it's, it's not like it's 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 not like they're trying to, it's not like you're giving up Miro Heishkinen for for Eric Carlson in this trade. And I, I, I think there's a try to understand the fan psyche is like, oh well, last time we tried to trade for Eric Carlson, we didn't do it and we got our franchise defenseman. You don't have anyone like that 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 you put in that trade proposal. No one like that is all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm I've now given up generational assets. Like it's it's you've given up some scratch off tickets for a guy who, you know what, is probably the one of the still the best defense offensive defenseman in the NHL. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I shouldn't have opened this can of worms this late into the show because I feel like we could have done a full episode on this, but uh, maybe we'll have to revisit this at some point in the office. I'm sure we're gonna have plenty of time to do so. Sean, we got to get out of here. I'm going to let you go. Uh, enjoy the rest of your time there in Nashville before you head home yourself. Thank you for taking the time. Everyone should go check out your Substack and your own podcast and, and at, on your Twitter, at Sean Shapiro, where you tweet everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow, as I said, with Mitch Brown to talk about the draft. So until then, thank you for listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on Sportsnet Radio Network.